This is Melissa Lockard with Steve Berman from the Seamheads, a show about the Oakland A's. We're excited to welcome Steve to the show. It's a really interesting time for the team coming off of a three-game sweep of the Houston Astros and a nine-game winning streak going into their game tonight against the Angels. It was an exciting weekend. I know you got a chance, Steve, to go to the game on Saturday, and I was there on Sunday with the, the brawl that sort of put a exclamation point on the series. And what are your thoughts so far on the team in general and what you saw on Saturday? Well, thanks for having me, Melissa. I'm excited to be here. I think the team just looks phenomenal in terms of its pitching right now. Hitting kind of comes and goes. The home run has been saving them all season long. And you wrote some interesting stuff about their situational hitting and how even just a small percentage less than that can actually hurt the team going forward. But still, I mean, you're looking at 12-4, and four, already a five-game lead in the AL West. And you look at the A's and the Astros, their chief competition – the Astros look very upset, weary, tired, and that frustration boiled over on Sunday, as we saw. As Jesus Lazardo said, this seems like they're getting frustrated, and we're seeing that right now with what they did in Alex and Trone trying to rile up Ramon. It reminded me of LeBron James sort of, uh, I guess, sort of baiting Draymond Green back in the finals when the Warriors looked like they were going to win that championship, and uh, the Astros did that on Sunday, and it didn't really work out, though. I totally think that's a spot on analogy because it really did look like, you know, Centron's sitting there on the bench and, and trying to figure out how to get Loriano to go over the edge there. And I think at the time that the brawl happened, I mean, he's walking towards first base and it really did look like at that point it had dissipated. In fact, I was in the middle of, you know, writing up that there was like a little bit of an exchange of words, but this was over. And then all of a sudden he's running over towards the dugout. Centron kind of brought something that had ended, brought it back to the forefront, which I, you know, I assume Major League Baseball is going to be taking a very close look at everything that transpired. And I would expect that he gets some, you know, suspension as well. But I, there's no doubt that the league's going to come down on Ramon Laureano for running over into the dugout because they've been very clear about the fact they don't want this kind of thing happening during the pandemic. And, you know, so I think there's, even though there were extenuating circumstances, the A's are likely to lose their, you know, really most effective hitter so far this year for a period of time, which is going to be unfortunate. And what's also kind of an underlying thing is going to be interesting to see is Austin Allen was also ejected in that brawl. And man, he's, he's been a very feisty character in his short period of time with the team. I mean, when he hit that first home run and he goes into the dugout and slams down his helmet, I don't know if I've seen a guy with that that kind of energy on, on this club in a while. And then, you know, he ran over and got into it with Martin Maldonado and ensuing kind of dust up after Loriano was tackled by Dustin Garneau. So, you know, if they lose Allen from a roster perspective, that could actually create some you know, more headaches than it would uh, create with uh, Loriano. I mean, obviously losing Loriano from a production perspective is is tough. But, you know, from a lineup perspective, you just DH Chris Davis every day and you've got plenty of outfielders to cover it. But you can't have a roster with one catcher. So they would have to bring up Jonah Heim. And if they need to, I assume that the rules are still the same for this season, where if somebody's serving a suspension, a team just plays short. So even if it's a one-game suspension, they'd have to bring up Jonah Heim and uh, take someone off the roster. And in looking at the roster right now, there aren't a whole lot of guys that have options available that you would even think about sending down. So it could force the A's to make a decision about someone like a Franklin Barreto or a Vimeo Machine that they wouldn't have wanted to make just because, you know, you can't play a game with only one catcher on your roster. So there's a lot of ramifications that could come out of this brawl. The catcher part is interesting. I can't imagine that Allen will get suspended anywhere nearly as long as Loriano. I know he got ejected from the game, but... 
you know, there were a lot of players on both sides that ran in there, and Allen just happened to be the one that sort of stirred it up the most, perhaps. Loriano being lost is is definitely key, and I thought that that was going to crater the A's last year in July when he went into the IL and he was playing like an MVP all throughout the month of July and really carrying the A's offense to a certain extent. And then he got hurt and then Mark Canna kind of took over and the A's outfield depth really stepped forward and they actually didn't really lose him. Their second half surge just kept going even without Loriano and Loriano came back and ended up moving to right field. I don't know. Loriano this year seems like he's an even better player. He's obviously a, a feisty guy and, and provides a lot of the spark for the A's. But I think they can kind of weather that to a certain extent. You're right, though. I, it makes me wonder if they're gonna is there gonna be some shenanigans if they do lose Allen for a bit. You know, maybe an IL stint for someone who's not being used too much on the team just to sort of create a roster spot or something. I don't know. I think you're absolutely right that they were able to weather that storm with Oriano. And, you know, it, it may not be a horrible thing if they build up a big enough lead that they, you know, can feel comfortable losing him for, say, five games. It, just the way with the intensity with which he plays, he does tend to end up with those sorts of injuries like the stress fractures he had in his shins. You know, having a little bit of a break, even in a short season, could make him fresher towards the end of the year, which, um, you know, obviously the team could use. I mean, he uh, had to play right field last year because they didn't really want to put the pressure on his legs when he came back from that injury. And having him out in center, I think, has, you know, sort of made the the outfield defense a little bit stronger uh, going into this, uh, you know, so far this season. So anything that would keep him fresh and able to continue doing that through the 60-game season probably wouldn't be a terrible thing. But obviously losing his bat in in terms of the production that he's given. Uh, But one thing I thought was really interesting that Matt Chapman talked about before the game on Sunday was sort of, you know, the fact that this group of players has played together so long, you know, a lot of them dating back to their time in the minor leagues together, that there's sort of a real next man up mentality in terms of, you know, who's going to be the guy that's kind of rescues the team that day. And if one guy has a bat at bat, you know, it, it doesn't sort of trickle down the bench and get people down. It's it's one of those things where, okay, well, he had a bat at bat, but that doesn't mean I can't, you know, pick him up in the next at bat. And, um, you know, that sort of uh, attitude could help them kind of cover a loss of Loriano for a period of time. That's interesting that you said that about Chapman, because another part of Chapman that I've noticed over the last couple of years is it seems like he and Chris Davis are extremely close. You know, you don't see it as much, I think, this year because of social distancing. But I remember last season just seeing in the dugout, the two guys would always have their arms around each other, constantly interacting real close up. And when you think about guys who maybe are faltering and you need a next man up kind of mentality, Chris Davis obviously has had a little bit of a difficult time over the last year. So maybe he's a guy who, if you look at some of the offensive production they could lose from Loriano, maybe Chris Davis can actually step through and, and do that just because of the amount of confidence that his teammates have in him, even though maybe some of the fans listening are like, what are you talking about? I don't have any confidence in Chris Davis right now at all. <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's funny, though. He's looked so much better in the last six or seven times that he's played. I mean, he's hitting the ball hard. I think if you look at StatCast, you know, at the end of every game that he plays, he's got at least two little fire icons next to his name, you know, for hard hit balls uh, every game. And a lot of those balls are finding gloves, which has got to be frustrating. But I actually read something today that batting average on balls is down across the league right now. And I don't know if that's because shifts are being used more frequently by teams or it's just bad luck. 
back and it'll kind of even itself out as it goes along. But you have to think if Davis continues to hit the ball hard, you know, he will eventually start to see good results from it. And yeah, you know, Chapman and Davis are both Cal State Fullerton guys. So I think that line goes, you know, even past their time with the A's. I mean, they didn't play together there, but I think they they knew each other through the program. So there is a lot of that closeness. But you mentioned that the situational hitting thing. And I think the Friday night game, which I, I laughed when I saw that you you said this game might end when I'm starting to cover the game on Saturday. <laughs> yep. and at a certain point, I was starting to think that might be right. I mean, even the six o'clock start, it was still going towards that uh, kind of midnight hour. But um, every single inning from the ninth inning on, you know, they had these runner on third, less than two outs. And you think, I mean, this is the it should be the most simple play in baseball, right? You put the ball in play. I mean, if they're stacking the infield with an extra infielder, maybe you got to get it up in, into the outfield. But, you know, the, the, they weren't even able to put the ball in play most of the time. It was a lot of strikeouts. And if there's one thing that, you know, they can work on, and there's obviously not a lot that a team that's got a nine-game winning streak, you know, has to really be focused on improving. But, you know, that's one area that in a postseason series, certainly, I think, is going to be something that could bite them if, if they're not more efficient at it. Yeah, I think that's something that's sort of bitten them a lot of the times in the postseason is that, you know, Billy Bean's famous quote, my uh, blankety blank doesn't work in the playoffs. (laughs) And that's actually something that is true. It's, you know, during the regular season, you can roll with that kind of offense just based on the law of averages and the amount of games that are being played. But when you're in the playoffs and you're facing really, really difficult pitching, especially, and you're just striking out 10, 12 times a game, that's pretty difficult to actually have sort of a sustainable offense where you're scoring more than two or three runs a game. It was funny on Friday night, I was texting with a friend who's an A's fan, and uh, she was very upset about the fact that the Astros had scored in the top of the 13th. And I said, don't worry, the A's are going to score in the bottom of the 13th, and this game's going to go 18 innings. So I was actually very, (laughs) very surprised, pleasantly so, that Marcus Simeon was able to uh, put that second run on the board in in the 13th inning to win 3-2 because I wasn't expecting that to occur at all. I was definitely not expecting either of those things at that point, you know, and, and I think it was a little bit, you, you talk about the the Astros and sort of how their energy looked. I mean, you know, the way that game transpired had to have been, you know, even more deflating because yes, they're missing George Springer and yes, their their bullpen has been hit by injuries, but that was a game they were starting Zach Ranky. you know, all their other good hitters were in the lineup. So it's certainly not like they were, you know, hampered offensively and, you know, they too couldn't score for long periods periods of time when they had runners in scoring position, they finally get one across and immediately end up at a loss when they look like they might be getting a win that could help turn around their season. So it is interesting, but I, I totally agree with you that that is a team that's putting out bad energy right now. And it'll be interesting to see if they are able to regroup uh, and, you know, what happens when the two teams face each other again. It sounded like Josh Reddick was trying to, you know, sort of deflate things a little bit in the post game. I think and they've got to be concerned that they're going to start to have targets on their back but just how that matchup is going to go when they face each other again it is going to definitely create a lot of discussion I think I know it kind of makes me wish I could almost uh, travel to uh, Texas on the 28th 
Although traveling right now doesn't seem like that great of an yeah. idea, but I'll definitely be watching because those games will be quite interesting. And I'm not sure how the Astros are going to be able to withstand if they lose Verlander for the entire season. And just with all the bad mojo that they've been dealing with, all the bad press, now they got guys struggling. Altuve looks like a completely different player. He, he actually made a couple of good defensive plays on Sunday, but on Saturday, he was just a butcher out there. And so you just look at all those things put together. If Verlander, who apparently Dusty Baker said the other day that he's not progressing quite as well as he would have liked, if he's out for the entire season, I think the Astros are cooked. You know, the rest of the AL West division is sort of jumbled right now, too. I mean, you know, you have to think the Angels are going to start playing better here soon. You know, they had some moving parts at the beginning of the season with Rendon out and Trout having to miss a few games for the birth of his child. And then, you know, you had some pitching uh, injuries that guys have come back. But it's weird. I mean, they're like a beautiful puzzle and like the connecting pieces are missing or something. I don't know. I mean, you know, you you look at that roster and you think this is a team that should be really good every year and their you know their lineup is tough i mean they're platooning Justin Upton right now and and Upton is a very good player still i think Joe Adele who i know has had a, a rude introduction to the big leagues yesterday when he <laughs> turned a fly ball into a home run in Texas but you know he's going to be a fantastic player and they've got guys like David Fletcher that drive you crazy cuz you think oh i got through Mike Trout and then all of a sudden here's this guy that's going to come up here and hit 500 in the series so that's a team that i wouldn't surprise me if they put together together a good run but you know I think the Rangers and the the Mariners are, are pretty focused on what comes next season more than what's coming right now which leaves the A's in a pretty good position um, if they can sort of keep a even keel through this season to get their you know back into winning a division and and putting themselves into a, a good you know spot in this whatever playoff seating situation is going to be yeah you look at this upcoming schedule and the A's could put even more distance between themselves and everyone else here three games against the Angels Dylan Bundy looked pretty good against them last time, and he's going to go against them on Tuesday. But, you know, look at the Giants with uh, the weekend series in San Francisco. Giants are kind of struggling right now. And then they play the Diamondbacks at a home-and-home series. And then the Angels again and the Rangers before finally facing the Astros. So this actually isn't too difficult of a schedule coming up. Maybe it's kind of a weird travel sort of situation for the A's, kind of bouncing back and forth. But uh, I think that they can actually, if they play the way they've been playing and withstand the loss of Loriano, which is surely coming, then you might be looking at a really, really big lead in the AL West. Yeah, a really strange travel schedule, too, for a league that was trying to design things to be less travel heavy. The weird trip south, then back here, and then to Arizona, and then to have Arizona follow them here is is, is a head scratcher. But you're right. I mean, the fact that these things are so heavily weighted towards division opponents, you, you can kind of help yourself in a way that um, you weren't necessarily able to do in a 162-game season. So far, I mean, their worst series was the one that, that they didn't have against an AL West team. And I think that bodes well for, you know, how they're positioning themselves for, you know, potential postseason. And wouldn't it just be a very Oakland A's kind of thing that they finally win a World Series in a year that you can't celebrate and you can't have a parade and, uh, you know, any momentum that you might have towards, you know, civics building or whatever with a new stadium. And now a word from Indochino. You know, I know you spoke with uh, Dave Cavill about the recent lawsuit that they 
had against it's one of the state agency that oversees you know pollution control but they put a lawsuit in there to force the state to take a look at Schnitzer Steel, who's been a big opponent of them moving into the Howard Terminal area. And I don't know what your thoughts were on sort of where they're thinking at this point. Well, when you look at what Dave Cavill uh, announced, it was pretty interesting and unexpected. There's been a lot of silence, actually. And I, I reached out to him because we just haven't heard much in terms of updates on the timeline. You know, back in February, they were supposed to be releasing the draft of the environmental impact report, and the city didn't, and they kind of held it up for whatever reason. Uh, the only thing that the A's would say was that it's the city's decision, not the team's. And then it was supposed to come out in March, and it didn't. And then the pandemic struck, and then everything just kind of got tabled. And so I wanted just to get an update. And then that morning, like two hours before I was supposed to talk to him, he announced the lawsuit against, yeah, the California Department of Toxic Substances Control. And it was interesting uh, just because Schinzer Steel is really the the prime, uh, I guess, uh, offender that they're trying to go after in terms of pollution, uh, fires, ha- you know, hazardous substances that they're dealing with and discarding. Uh, putting them in the landfills, what have you, according to the A's claims. And Schnitzer Steel is one of the four properties at the Port of Oakland, the four companies that actually levied a lawsuit in March against the A's, uh, trying to stop them from having a streamlined process with the city. It's kind of convoluted, but you know the A's wanted to have their review process with the city in terms of their environmental impact report shortened and they had a law that they actually agreed to with the state of California uh, that would allow them to do that. But the Snitcher Steel and all the other ones said that since the A's missed a deadline, December 31st, 2019, to show the state of California that they met all the relevant criteria, then that streamlining process is then moot. So the A's uh, obviously upset about that, but I asked Cavill, I had to ask him, I said, hey, you know, what, are you, what, are you, what would you say to people who would say, hey, this is sort of a tit-for-tat situation, and you're filing a lawsuit against toxic substance control, and then essentially Schnitzer Steel, is this retaliatory? He said, no, if we were building the stadium on the moon, uh, we would still be pursuing this. I don't know. I, I, someone might be a little skeptical as to whether that's completely true, but still, you know, they do say that a lot of that stuff is uh, downwind, actually. The A's are their offices from Snitcher Steel. So when those fires occur, they feel like they're breathing in those chemicals, too. So it's interesting. We'll see if uh, either of these lawsuits really go forward and do much of anything. Right now, the timeline is that they hope to have the environmental impact report draft published in the fall, and then there would be a review period for the public to comment on it. And then next year, there would be sometime in mid-2021, Oakland City Council would vote on whether to approve the Howard Terminal Project. And if they approve it, then you can start putting shovels in the ground. So there's a lot that's going into this. And so we'll see what happens. Yeah. And, and I thought uh, Marcus Thompson had a great column on Sunday about you know what that lawsuit means for the people who live in West Oakland and East Oakland, where he was raised and where the A's currently play and, um, you know, the, the impact that that pollution has had on the people that are living there. And, you know, his point was, regardless of what their motivations are, if they're going to see this lawsuit through and it cleans up uh, what has been a, a real crime against the people that have been living there from a health standpoint, you know, the benefit far outweighs whatever the motivations are. So it'll certainly be interesting to follow. Obviously, the stadium saga has been one that we've been following for about 20 years and uh, <laughs> will hopefully, uh, you know, timelines being what they are. But if if there's a resolution within the next 12 months, that'll be something considering how long this has gone on. But uh, thanks so much for listening. We'll be back again later this week.